0: I'm Natasha Ryan, VP of the North Group and host of Time to Head North, and I'm so excited today that we have Earl Granville on with us. What an amazing story you have, and I love that you take it and you send it to the masses, and I want to hear all about it, but how funny is it that I'm talking to Earl the other day, and I'm like, you know, you live in Scranton, and I have one friend in Scranton, and you knew him. How crazy is it?
1: (laughs) Pretty big, man. I got to tell you, Ryan Leckie, wonderful <laughs> human being, wonderful human being. And I think anybody from Scranton knows who Ryan Leckie is. They have to. At, 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 yeah. I mean, he's like the little celebrity here in uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania, Northeastern Pennsylvania, to be more precise about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> small world, small world. I love it.
0: I'm totally tagging him in this podcast because I <laughs> think. Oh, Please do. It's absolutely <laughs> wild. Um, okay. Earl, give us a little bit of your background, if you don't mind.
1: No problem. So, well, Natasha, you know, like I said, born and raised here in Northeastern Pennsylvania, outside of Scranton, a little town called Carbondale, not too far from Scranton, but like big cities, you always say you're, you're from the big city, even though it's right next to it. Just so you're like, Ooh, where's that? Right. So we're right. totally Pennsylvania. You know, we're known for the office. Let's be real. I was going to so.
0: say, do you, <laughs> how many times do you get asked if you ever worked for Dunler Mifflin? Oh my goodness.
1: Everything. So, you know, in my line of work, when it comes to QA, and it's like, I always get that question. And it's like, so you're a fan of The Office? And I'm every time I'm like, absolutely love that show. <laughs> Still watching the reruns. I love I know, it. I'm I have a a lot. About. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm from here in Northeastern Pennsylvania. Um, a little bit about Natasha, you know, my background and where I come from. It's, um, no, I guess the best way to start is, I guess, uh, yeah. Join the military. I, um, you know, how I, old I,
0: are you? Are you right out of high school when you make that choice?
1: I was in high school and I made that choice. And the whole reason why is, uh, you know, growing up, my dad was, uh, from what he told me anyway, it was join the army or go to jail. That was his, uh, I mean, he's much older than I was. So things were different back then. Right. And exactly. he never told us what he did or, but I was just like, geez, I wonder, to um it was just you know pulling our leg here it was just uh that really what happened but i know growing up you know i had you know a few siblings this and that but uh you know we all have our own friends and uh my twin brother joe he had his friends and i had my friends and growing up i'm going to a lot of shows right a lot of like you know, punk shows and some of the friends I hung out with. And I feel like that was my culture. So I'm saying this. So when I came to when my twin brother Joe asked me about joining the military, my attitude at the time, Tasha was like, man, I don't want to do that. Like, that's yeah. not for me, man. You know, like, yeah. you know, work for the man, right? Yeah." But I think one of the biggest things was made me decide to join was the incentive of a free college. Yeah. Yes, you could say it. I was one of those guys. Oh, free school, man. That sounds great. You know, I had no uh, scholarships coming up. I had no, uh, you know, way to pay for school except for getting student loans. And I'm like, man, it just doesn't sound appealing to me. But I want to go to school, yeah. free education. And we joined the Pennsylvania Army National Guard. So our unit was right here in Northeastern Pennsylvania, Holmesdale, Pennsylvania, to be more precise. And uh, yeah, we were we became infantrymen. I didn't even know what infantry was. I was like, "Joe, what are you doing? Infantry? Okay, I guess I do that." I had no idea what that was at all. But hey, I just get my foot in the door to get that free school, and then we had a nice summer after high school. And then after the summer, we finally went to basic training. And the date Natasha was September first, two thousand one. I think we all know what happened a few days later.
0: Yeah. That's a hell of a time to, to enter.
1: Oh, you're telling me and Natasha, I got to tell you, joining with this bad attitude, making it about me. Like, yeah, I want the college. I want the college. You know, just this bad attitude. I was like, man, I don't want to go to war. I didn't join the military to go to war. Sounds so ridiculous. Don't you think? And like, so, but there's no turning back at this point. Now, yeah. I, it's like I said, I was making this about me, the bad attitude who I was at a time. Um, and, you know, but like I said, I, I well, I'm here now. What am I going to do? Yeah. We graduated basic training, being that we're National Guard. We went back home to Pennsylvania and, you know, our, our weekend. or well, hold our, on.
0: I want to interrupt you here because, you huh? know. 9/11. So you you kind of have this attitude where you're like, nah, I don't. This, you know, I did it. I'm here. Whatever. Did anything shift inside of you when you saw the towers go down, or did you just get a little scared of what was to come?
1: Just kind of. I feel like big thing it was just nervous of the unknown ahead. Yeah, it's gonna happen. You know. At this point, I never heard of Afghanistan. Yeah. <laughs> I know it sounds uh, like, where's Afghanistan again? You know, it's, uh, you know, just who I was as a 17-year-old kid. Yeah. yeah. You know, just yeah. some little punk that um, sheer ignorance.
0: Okay. And- sorry. Go back. So you go back. Sorry. I interrupted you. So you go back. No, no. It's okay. Yeah. Um,
1: so we go back stateside. Like I said, we're National Guard.
0: Yeah.
1: So I'm looking to get that. Where do I go now? Where? Um, well, We're one week in a month, two weeks a year. That's how the National Guard works. Like we, um, our training anyway is one week in a month and two full weeks out of the year. That's in our contract. That's what the Pennsylvania Army National Guard does, right? Um, So we go back stateside or we, we go back home to Pennsylvania. I start looking at schools and that was immediately put on hold. Because three weeks after coming home from Fort Benning, Georgia, for basic tra- from basic training, we got order or we got orders for Bosnia.
0: Okay. And
1: um, something else, I just did not. I so where's Bosnia again? You can see where this is going. Just share yeah, yeah,
0: ignorance.
1: Yeah. ignorance. I'm like, you know, what's going on in Bosnia? Why are we going there? Right? And for anybody out there, um, you know. Not, little bit of reason why we had troops in Bosnia 1992, 1995. There's this horrible genocide happening in this part of the world in Eastern Europe. And read the book, Love Thy Neighbor by Peter Moss. And there's a few movies out, two in particular. One is called Welcome to Sarajevo. And the other one is called In the Land of Blood and Honey. Uh, the latter was written directed by uh, Angelina Jolie. So after three years of this happening, 92 to 95, NATO forces finally stepped in and said, we got to get this under control. Horrible things are happening in this part of the world. So not just U.S. forces, but all these NATO forces got shipped over to get things stable and under control in this part of the world. Now, the time my unit gets there, it's 2002. So NATO forces has had a footprint in there for almost a decade at this point. Okay, so... There's real no threat to us the time we get there. It's just a peacekeeping mission. Yeah. Um, our our biggest threat was the possibility of driving off of a off of a road and hitting a landmine. Like that's the biggest threat to us. So like it I could say it was, I mean, looking back, it was a nice, easy deployment no harm, no foul to anybody in my unit. Like uh, my, you know, man, I'm 19 years old at the time. First time leaving the country, first time, you know, experiencing different cultures outside of the United States. So if anything, it was an experience. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we came home from this tour, March of 2003. And like back to National Guard status. So civilian training once in a while, right? Yeah. I enrolled in the Lackawanna College in Scranton, Pennsylvania, started getting that education. The whole reason I joined the military to begin with. I got two semesters in when we got a warning order for Iraq, but it was a volunteer mission. So what was nice about it was like, hey, man, I don't have to go. I'm not going to go. But Joe, on the other hand, my cousin, Paul, who was also in the National Guard, um, some of my other buddies who I was in Bosnia, with, they were going to go over. And at Joe in particular, man, I was like, man, if he's gone, I guess I should have put my big boy pants on and go as well, right? Let me tell you something, Natasha. That was the best decision I've ever made. And what do I mean by that? Well, like I said, I joined the National Guard. and made it about me. What can I get out of this? Like, people said, call what you want. People say it's a selfish reason just to join for that free college. But, I mean, like I said, that was my attitude at the time. But going to Iraq, becoming a sergeant, an NCO, but put in some of these dangerous situations that we were over there, I saw this big picture. It's not about me. It's about us. Being a part of something bigger than yourself. And people felt that this time, should we be in Iraq? Like It's, it's, it's a controversial idea. If we should even have troops over there in the first place. But at the end, I mean, there was there was nothing you could do about it. Like, oh, what do you think about being over there? I was like, well, there's nothing you can really do about it. We're here now. And that's, yeah. that's all we can do is uh, do what we have to do over here. And it was about the people I was deployed with. You know, uh, my buddies that I met in Iraq and became friends with. And it made me love wearing that uniform. And like I said, being a part of something bigger than myself and having that camaraderie. Now, I played sports in high school, but this is something obviously much more deeper, you know, right. just because of the situation that we're in. And my unit got split in half the 109th Infantry, half were in Al-Assad, Iraq, which is where I was, and the other half was in a place called Ramadi. And I think everyone's heard of Ramadi. Yeah. And at this time mm-hmm. in history, it was the most dangerous places in the world. And you know, a lot of my, unfortunately, like... A lot of my buddies, they got killed over there. Uh, Staff Sergeant Ryan Oles from, of uh, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Um, Specialist Billy Evans of Susquehanna County. And then at the end of September, five uh, soldiers in the 109th Infantry hit a white phosphorus IED while in a vehicle. Um, Staff Sergeant Daniel Arnold, Staff Sergeant George Baglisi, Sergeant Eric Slobodnik, uh, Specialist Lee Wiegand, and PFC Oliver Brown. Huge tragedy, to the 109th Infantry, like in real heavy times. And we always, I remember just being that we are National Guard, I feel like there's always like this little stigma. Oh, you feel sandbags during, uh, you know, bad times, over like when things happen yeah. stateside, if a flood happens, you call a guard, but you're not put in dangerous situations. So, well, obviously that's not true. I mean, we just took seven casualties, five in one day, in the 109th Infantry in 2005 alone. So this is obviously real. And you know it made me think about like serving my country and wearing that uniform. And you know, I found the power of what community can do on this deployment, not just from being overseas, but shortly after those names of my friends who passed away, after they passed away, I went home on two week leave, like everyone does when you have a year long deployment. And my dates to go home were in November. And the horrible tragedies of my friends who passed away were just a few weeks prior. So coming home back to Scranton and just seeing half uh, flags half-staffed, seeing the names of those who fallen that I mentioned on businesses, uh, some no, God bless the 109th. I'm realizing like, this obviously didn't just take a toll to the 109th infantry and the families of those who lost, who we lost. It also took a full, fo- a toll on the community here right? in Scranton and the surrounding areas. And it just like, you know, what this did. And, and I feel like the pride in the 109th infantry in, in what we were doing over there, like it just made me even more proud to wear that uniform and be a part of this at least for my friends who passed away, at least for their sake. So like heavy times, heavy times. I ended up going back to Iraq after my two weeks, right around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I, um, you know, I, 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 uh, I, had a, I, hit, I had to make a decision. What's next, right? My contract is going to be ending soon as a soldier in the Pennsylvania Army National Guard. And I know Joe was re-upping his contract to stay in the military longer. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, man, I really love this, my time over here. I'm going to continue to do this. So I raised my hand and I also re-upped my contract. And um, I knew this is a job I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, the summer of 2006, we finally go back stateside. And... First thing I do is I enroll right back into college and I start getting more of that education. And I got two more semesters in, got my associate's degree at Lackawanna College and I hit this, all right, hit this fork in the road. What's next? Do I get more of an education at a university, get that four year degree? Do I start looking for work? Do I go active duty in the army? Like I have a few options here. of What's yeah. next in my life at this age? Well, all of a sudden, we get another warning order for another volunteer mission, and this is Afghanistan being volunteered with 103rd armor, also in the Pennsylvania Army National Guard. So I thought, hey, now's a good time. I yeah. raised, my, raised my hand right away. Where Joe, on the other hand, he decided to stay back. You know, his um, he's now married, and he wants to start a family. So he says, look, man, this is my priority now. So I feel the two of us should just stay back stateside and let this one go. And meanwhile, I'm sorry. I'm putting my phone on silent here. You're fine. Um, meanwhile, we should just be deploying when we're supposed to, when we're, they tell us to go instead of volunteering. And I was like, Nah, man, sorry. I'm cutting this card. And off I went. Now on this deployment, Natasha was a little unique. Uh, mission from any other tour I was on overseas and we're part of what's called the Provincial Reconstruction Team or PRT for short. And what it it entails is my platoon's job, which is made up of nothing but combat arms, infantrymen, tankers, artillery, combat engineers. Our job is a security force for the core PRT, which is made up of civil-affair officers in all types of branches in the military, Army, Air Force, you name it. And we would escort these civil-affair officers off to work with village elders and local government in the province we were working in, which was the Paktia province in Eastern Afghanistan. And we were living at the capital of this province, which is called Gardez. They would have their meetings of how we could help build infrastructure in certain buildings in Afghanistan uh, what I noticed is like a lot of it was schools you gotta remember the Taliban are still alive and well over there. Right. And they don't like, they don't like, uh, females getting an education. Right. They right. were destroying the schools. So we're trying to like control this chaos here and make sure, you know, their society gets their education and have those equal rights. You know, some of the democracy that we get in America, we're trying to give over there to their culture. Well, every person we would escort in our vehicles would sit in the back seat except for one individual and this gentleman his name is major scott haggerty major haggerty just liked to be in charge of the vehicle he was riding in it's just what he did so i saw in this four-day mission we're going to a little village called Zormont to look at a site where we're going to build a school down the road and I saw that I was escorting major Haggerty in my vehicle. So I knew he was going to take that shotgun seat where I sit barking orders. Tell you what, major Haggerty, you want that seat, go right ahead. <laughs> you no, know? like that's fine with me. Like that's, that's cool. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. No big deal yeah. at all. But I'll yeah. tell you what, I will be your gunner. Put me in that gunner's hatch and my gunner, which is my buddy, Craig Reigns, He'll sit in the passenger seat of another vehicle, right? Easy day. Everybody's happy. No complaints. Well, on the final day of this mission, we're, ta- we're escorting not just Major Haggerty, but also an Afghan sub-governor, this future site where we're going to build this school. And on the way there, the road we took, very narrow, inside this big valley, and the size of our vehicles, we're having to crawl with these vehicles. Okay. through this area. And being that it's in the valley, we could see we're being watched. It really puts us in a vulnerable position. Luckily, we got through it, no harm. We went and looked at the site where we're going to build a school in the future. And after that, instead of taking the same road back, we pulled our maps out and found a different route. Right. In this route, looking at the maps, it looked like it was much more safer open fields, so yeah. we're not in a vulnerable position, right? right? Well, we decided to take this route, and it was an unfamiliar route to all of us. We're just looking at what's on the map. And I say that because the time we get to this area, now look, I live in northeastern Pennsylvania. Our summer's very green, a lot of vegetation. Now, it's three months I'm in Afghanistan at this point, and taking this unfamiliar route, was the first time I'm seeing this bright green grass. Okay. okay. Like, yeah. I remember just saying to myself, man, who's watering their grass in Afghanistan? It's beautiful here. The next thing I remember, I saw nothing but black. You know when you put your head underwater and there's that faint noise you hear? Yeah. Yeah. where like maybe somebody's talking, it's muffled. Yeah. Like, you can just clog your ears like this. That's the best way to describe what I was hearing at this moment. Okay. And I felt this momentum. And I'm saying in my mind, what the heck is going on right now? And when I came to, I opened my eyes. Big, beautiful sky. It's like 2.30 in the afternoon. But, man, I'm looking at the sky. Man, what? am I on the ground? Holy jeez. My feet are backwards and I'm full of blood. To the left of me, the Humvee's completely ripped to shreds. We just hit a roadside bomb. I heard my buddy Joe Voda yell, get him in a body bag. People are killed. Is it us? Is it them? What's going on? Trying to assess what's happening. I'm trying to stand up. That's obviously not happening. I'm starting to panic a little bit. Okay, what's going on? Are we getting ambushed? Yeah. All of a sudden, my medic gets to me. U.S. Air Force Tech Sergeant, Eric Jones. We call him Doc Jones. Doc started working on my wounds. Doc, how's everybody else doing? They're doing fine. They're doing good. We're going to get you all out of here. Doc gets the bleeding under control. Put some click clot on. Gets me a little more stable. Him and a few of my other buddies, they pick me up and put me on a litter and they start transferring me over to one of the vehicles for cover in a less vulnerable area. And when they transported me over, they walked me right past two body bags. And just looking at all the equipment around it, I knew exactly who it was. It was the remains of Major Scott Haggerty of Stillwater, Oklahoma. The gentleman who took my seat that day, which is why I'm still here in front of you today. And driving the vehicle with specialist Derek Holland at Wingate, Pennsylvania. Derek just turned 20 years old. My buddies, they call in a nine-to-line medevac chopper and they pop red smoke and all of a sudden I hear the Blackhawk coming in, the Blackhawk lands. They transfer me over onto the Blackhawk and before it takes off, two other individuals get on. Remember I said in the backseat of my home, the Was that Afghan governor? Right. He was conscious, but he was pretty beat up. Looked a lot worse than I did, actually. And one other individual got on, who wasn't wounded, but it was an Afghan police officer who had their own vehicles with us that day. He got on the Blackhawk to help to continue to escort this governor wherever this Blackhawk is going to take us. And Natasha, I grew up a Christian man. Yeah. Right. And Around us, uh, the people, a lot of people in Afghanistan, they, uh, you know, their their faith is different than ours, Islamic faith. And I don't care what your faith is, you know, And I say this with respect, what invisible person you pray up ahead of us. This gentleman who is probably in his 50s, and I'm only 24, so and I think your age has a lot to do when your body goes through this trauma.
0: Yeah, right? yeah.
1: He's laying to the right of me. And I could tell he's in a lot of pain. And I just took my right hand and squeezed his left and just said to myself, dear God, get us out of here alive. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the adrenaline starts wearing off a little bit. My mind is just racing.
0: And yeah. all
1: I to do is kind of sit up and look at my legs. And eventually, I get somebody push my head back and pet my head a little bit, top of my head. And I look up to see who it is. And it's that Afghan police officer. And he motions me to relax. Blackhawk takes us to Bagram Air Base, where one of the major U.S. hospitals is at. Ambulance picks us up at the helipad, brings us Are to the
0: hospital. Were you conscious this whole time?
1: I was conscious. Yeah, I was probably knocked out for two minutes.
0: Okay. I, I okay. mean, my guess
1: anyway. Put it this way. The time I woke up from hitting that roadside bomb, Nobody even got to me yet. Okay. I could just tell, like, it just happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they put us inside the hospital. And all of a sudden, nurses and doctors are assessing our wounds, getting x-rays. What's next, right? All of a sudden... Doctors come into my room a little while later and they say, we have to do surgery on your right hip immediately. And I said, all right, doc, let's do this. But right before we went in for surgery, I got a visitor. And that visitor happened to be that Afghan police officer. Once again, he comes into my room and he stands at the end of the bed, straight up and he does this and he starts talking and he doesn't even speak English. Yeah. But we all know body language, right? Like right. I think that like I, I knew exactly why it was there, the big smile on his face, how you doing this and that. Um you know, I have to mention this, Natasha, because like we have this saying in the military, it's called blue on green, and maybe troops that we're working with of the country that we're in. Um we could be working with law enforcement or their military for a long time. And all of a sudden, one may just go rogue and start shooting at U.S. coalition forces. So we're always told, don't trust these people. Now, I've never experienced that. I know you and I was with, I'd never experienced that. But I mean, I, I've heard the stories during my recovery. I've, I've heard more stories of people that it actually happened to. So I'm saying this, like, don't trust them, don't trust them, don't trust them. But this gentleman to take out of his time just to see how sure. I'm doing. Sure. It was kind of like a kick in the ass. You know what I mean? Like, dude, wake up. They're not all bad people. There's good and bad people in every organization you can think of. You know, there's good and bad cops. There's good and bad CEOs. There's good and, there's good and bad bus boys. There's good and bad taxi Teachers. drivers.
0: Yeah. Teachers. Any industry. Yes. Yep,
1: exactly. You nailed it. So, like, I had to open my mind a little a bit and not put everybody in a box. You see what I mean? Yes. So, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that him putting his hand over his heart and just greeting me like that. It was such a huge eye opener. But anyway, right after that, I went in for surgery. I woke up to a nurse pulling a breathing tube out of my mouth. And as she calms me down, she informs me that I'm in launch tool air base in Rammstein, Germany, a whole different continent at this point. Yeah. And everything in between, I have no idea what happened. So later on that day, doctor comes in my room. He said, all right, here's what's going on. Your right leg, we think we could salvage and keep, but your left leg, we're going to have to amputate it. I'm like, geez, man, doc, that's a like heavy stuff, man. Like, yeah. Do you think I could keep it? And he's like, well, you know, if you keep it, here's your options. If you keep it, you're going to be in a wheelchair or crutches the rest of your life because it's going to be non-weight-bearing. No, Doc, you're not hearing what I'm saying. Do you think we could keep it? <laughs> you see what I'm getting at here? <laughs> and he said, No. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something right now, Natasha, all Right, There's nothing more than mine.
0: That's, than those five is toes not sitting on that
1: operating table. What's that? What
0: I was expecting at all, like at all.
1: There is nothing more than mine than those five toes sitting on that operating table, am I right?
0: So so when you said, "Can I keep it?" And I hate to be comedic in this heavy moment, but I like what what was what were you envisioning?
1: Was I envisioning making it in a lamp? Did you ever see a Christmas story? I was gonna say that.
0: <laughs> I, I did not. I didn't want to go there, but I was thinking, oh, it's the Ralphie movie. He's putting a lampshade. Exactly. On what
1: <laughs> screw you know, screw of people on Halloween. I don't know. Just keep it in the freezer till that time of year, right? <laughs> I tell you, man, you should see the look on this doc's face. It's like, no. I'm like, well, what are you going to do with it? It's like, we incinerate it. <laughs> I'm like, are you sure you're not going to go home and tell your dog it's beef jerky? <laughs>
0: <laughs> man, okay. No, you now okay, no, wait. Okay. <laughs> All right. Th- this, this has been wildly amusing. Thank you. Um, okay. But I mean, in this moment, you need to walk us through this. Like you, you are a young man and you've just literally been told that you are probably going to have to be without one of your legs. Like what, I don't even like, what, what is that like? Like, how are you processing this in the moment? Right? Well, I guess like,
1: I want you to think about this, man. I, I just kept telling myself for the longest time, look, dude, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine.
0: Yeah. Now,
1: if I was escorting a different different civil affair officer that day, I would have been killed. That's one way to put it, right? So, right. what do I have to complain about?
0: Right. right? You lived. So, you focused on your survival in that moment.
1: Yeah. And maybe the morphine made me all goofy. Oh, I keep my leg. But I mean, whatever well, was Christmas
0: honest. story. So.
1: Whatever was going on, it was working, you know, and it's, yeah. <laughs> and I remember I started getting phone calls in Germany, like people were calling me and uh yeah, I was just, just, just chat with everybody. And yeah, man, I'm still here. And that's what matters. Yeah. Right? So what do I have to complain about, you know? And, you know, as we move forward, I had more surgeries on my right leg while I was in Germany as well. And then I finally got the green light to go back to the States. Um, Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C. And this is going to be my home for a long time. Yeah. Well, my third day at Walter Reed and I'm still in ICU and my immediate family gets a green light to come down. And my parents and my siblings are down there. And one by one, they're visiting me in my room, and so it's not like a, just a bunch of people in my room. You know, sure. first my mom, sure. then she leaves, and my dad, then he leaves, and then you know, one of my siblings, another one of my siblings. And when Joe came in, he was—he said, "You everybody's So, and not, and not just him, but like everybody was just like, you know, it's it's a kind of like a little bit of an eye opener to see me in this situ- in in this state. Like limb sure. is gone. It looked like I lost 80 pounds. Like I was just a skinny rail. Yeah. Um, My, my skin was like this tint of orange. Um, I'm missing a limb. I have wound backs coming all out of both my what's left of my one leg and my other leg. Like it's, and I'm like smiling, being a goofball. Like um, Joe though, on one point he just said to me, man, I should have just gone with you. And I, you know, I, I, I remember Natasha was like,
0: well,
1: maybe it's good. You did it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Who knows? Something could have happened to you. Right. Right. So there's nothing really to, there's nothing we could do now. Like I'm, I'm being a little upbeat about this. Like things are, things are good. Well, um, yeah, I just, uh, you know, moving forward, I'm, uh, um, you think about it, it's now 2008. It's the summer of 2008, right? So both these wars, Iraq and Afghanistan are at a very heavy time where there's a lot of casualties. So this time in history, I want to read, there's tons of men and women all around me in my situation, double amputees, triple amputees, uh, people who've lost their vision Uh, burn casualties, uh, traumatic brain injuries, post-traumatic stress, you name it. Like it's just all walks of life are at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. So you think of it as like Natasha, like maybe like a somber place. But I got to tell you, I felt like it was the complete opposite. And what do I mean by that? We're all in our, like a majority of us, I say we're in our 20s, early 30s. We're all pretty young still. Yeah. And we want to move on with our lives. So I'm seeing people there that have been there a little longer than I have with these more, cat- more catastrophic injuries in mind doing these amazing things athletically like um, sit down, ski, snowboarding, playing sled hockey, wheelchair basketball, and really getting their independence back and just learning this new way of life. And looking back, I realized how great that was to be there at that time of history in that type of environment where everybody's up and moving forward. And just learning it all together of what's next. Sure. I still go to Walter Reed now to get prosthetic care done. And it's a physical therapy is like a ghost town. And I think that's a good thing, right?
0: Right, right.
1: But like, if I had to go there now, let's say I just lost my leg now and went down there, how it is at this moment. I don't think I'd have the same type of recovery. Does that make sense?
0: It does. Because you went from being deployed in units and camaraderie. And when you went to Walter Reed, you still had that camaraderie around you with people with similar circumstances. So it makes perfect yeah. sense to me.
1: Yeah. Every Wednesday we, we would, uh, I was part of a hockey sled hockey team called the USA warriors. And every Wednesday we got ice time in, uh, in Rockville, Maryland. And I mean, that was my favorite part of the week. You know, I had, I had an SUV, so I was able to pack some of the guys that had wheelchairs and put their wheelchairs in the back of the SUV and we all take them to hockey. And then after practice, all sweaty, we go grab a bite to eat, have a few beers. Yeah. um, Yeah. And, uh, go to a few ball games, see the Washington nationals or, um, whatever it may be like life was good. You know, we, outside of physical therapy, we would go to the gym together. Like it was this cool little community and like, we're all the same age, all with different types of injuries. And it's funny because I learned a lot about myself and like I had to get surgery when I got out of the army on my residual limb. Um, they had to shave some bone off, right? It was, uh, The bone was uh, growing. Part of the bone was growing out too far through the tissue and it was too close to against the skin, which is a high risk of infection. So I went to the local hospital here, one of the local hospitals here in Scranton and they actually said, "Uh, you know, what we could do, we're just going to amputate more of that limb. And I said, like, hold on a second, Doc. How about, like, it's it's high enough where it's on the incision line from the original amputation. Let's go through that incision line, peel that skin back, shave it down, and patch it back up. And then, oh, the doctor, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? With all due respect, I want a second opinion. Yeah. I went down to Walter Reed. I talked with the ortho surgeon there he said, yeah, we'll just go through that incision line. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I just yeah. think to myself, so I learned that from the guys who came before me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like
1: the last thing I want to do is amputate more of my leg. Right. So this, and it's, it's a much faster recovery. I'm still having the same amount of my limb. Like it, it was, you see the benefits of all this is what I'm saying. So it's like my time at Walter Reed, I, I give a, I give it a lot of praise for some of the things I do in my life now, like just being in that community at that time. And like I said, I eventually started walking. I got my independence. Life was good. I left Walter Reed and I get a job in, Washington, DC, or in Alexandria, Virginia as an archeological lab technician. Well, while I'm going back and forth from Pennsylvania to DC, like I go back to Pennsylvania once in a while. And at one point, I get asked to go to a black tie event in uh, around the holidays. It's a week before Christmas in 2010. I'm back in Pennsylvania getting ready for this event. I get out of the shower. I put my suit pants on and a t-shirt before I get fully in my suit and tie. I'm front of the mirror doing my hair. All of a yeah. sudden, my phone rings. I let my phone just go to voicemail. I finish doing my hair. I wash a hair gel out. I go look at my phone. I see it's my mom. I listen to the voicemail my mother. She's distraught on the other end. Earl, you need to call me immediately. Boy, what's that about? I give my mom a call back. She is hysterical on the other end. Earl, I'm so sorry. Mom, what's going on? Deep breath. What's up? Talk to me. While in active duty, my twin brother, Staff Sergeant Joe Granville takes his own life. I got to tell you, Natasha, it was the worst day of my life.
0: I'm sure. I'm so sorry.
1: How do I get this second chance at life and have my own twin brother take his away? Like I was crushed. The next day, I had to go to Joe's house. There's his wife and kids. And many, many other people just trickling in and out of the house some of Joe's friends when he was a corrections officer before he went active duty in the national guard, finally putting faces to these names that I've heard so many times from my brother,
0: mm-hmm.
1: some of our friends growing up, some of the guys we served with some of, you know, his in-laws, you name it. And you can imagine the energy in this house, like, you know, somber grief, a lot of apologies, like what the hell just happened? What happened? Why did this happen? And I'm just like, man, she's I, I I can't I can't do this anymore. What's next? So today is Sunday the 19th. Tomorrow's the 20th and it's a Monday. Is somebody gonna be at the armory this close to Christmas? Perfect. Let's go up there. I grabbed my cousin Paul and my best friend growing up, Dave Rivera. They were both served in the National Guard as well. We went up to the armory in Holmesville, Pennsylvania, where Joe was a training NCO. I walk in and there's my old readiness NCO. Sergeant First Class Peterson, he gives me his condolences and a big hug. I grab a box. I empty Joe's desk. Okay, job done. Hey, Sergeant Peterson, we got some paperwork to fill out for Joe. All right, let's fill this out. Boom, boom, boom. Getting that all done. Getting that. I need you to go work with Supply. I want Joe laid to rest in his dress uniform, and I need to make sure all of his awards are up to to date because it's going to be an open casket. Get that done. I need you to go work with Stephanie at St. Rose of Lima Church, work all the logistics there for the funeral. You're going to come with me and help my mom pick out a casket at Priest funeral home in Carbondale. And I just started delegating all these tasks yeah. moving forward. Just like what has, yeah. what has to get done, what has to get done, what has to get done. Like just went into autopilot and got all this done. Started not really processing what the hell just happened. Right. Does
0: that make sense? Absolutely. It's it's that state of getting things done. You're busy, the adrenaline from getting everything in place, and you're not grieving. You're not grieving.
1: Yes, exactly. That's yeah. you nailed it. Yeah. Well, the day came at Joe's funeral. I got in my army dress blues. I walked up to that casket, give him the final salute. That's that. Now what? Have you ever heard, Natasha, the saying, uh, idle hands is a devil? Oh, yeah. That is absolutely true, 100%. And my mindset went right back to making it all about me, feeling sorry for myself, playing the victim, thinking the world owes me everything. Yep. I got to ask you, where does playing a victim get you in life, Natasha? Into trouble. I always say in a trouble or absolutely nowhere. Yep. Idle hands is a devil man. I truly believe that. And that's exactly what I started doing. I just had that victim mentality of making it all about me. I was that guy with the dog tags hanging out make sure people knew how I lost my leg? You know what I did for this country? Yeah. In reality, part of my language. Nobody owes us nothing this sense of entitlement that I had because of everything I've gone through. I just started to go downhill. You know, things didn't always stay like that, obviously. No, I I got in trouble a little bit, but I think for the most part, like, I feel like I got lucky with certain things and how certain things went down. But things started to shift, I know, from talking with some of my brother's CO buddies when he was a corrections officer. So when Joe passed away, he was active duty in the national guard.
0: Yeah.
1: Loved his career as a corrections officer. Took this job, active duty in the national guard. And when Joe passed away and I got to meet his CO buddies, I guess Joe made quite the impact in Pennsylvania corrections as a CEO. The funeral details was half military and half CEOs and he wasn't even a CEO anymore but he made such an impression they wanted to be involved and man i got to tell you something that felt so good to me
0: oh i'm sure that's a beautiful thing to see
1: yeah you know it just <laughs> all lined up like there's a there's a soldier ceo soldier ceo you know the 21 gun salute and the funeral detail carrying my brother's remains in his casket like it was it was it was awesome but that's who he made that big of an impact which made me feel so good and, you know, it's funny. I was at the VA today uh, getting my foot x-rayed and looked at. And uh, a gentleman named Mark actually stopped. He was like, you were early. He's like, yeah, he was like, I worked with your brother. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, man, nice to meet you, this and that. Like, people still coming up to me and saying. Yeah, that. yeah. And I love that. Like, Joe, unfortunately, has been gone for um, 13 years now. But, I mean, that tells you the type of person Joe was. Yeah. And it's a good feeling. But becoming buddies with all of his CEO friends, I learned things how Joe looked at me in a certain way that I didn't know. So I learned how to snowboard with a special prosthetic leg. I did that out in Vale, Colorado. And um, when I was out there, it was with an organization called the Vale Veterans Program, right? right. And my, like my second or third day there, in the lobby, I saw a newspaper of the local newspaper, and there's a photo of me snowboarding that the local paper took. And my pant leg is yeah. rolled up. You can see my prosthetic. So it's a pretty cool photo. So, you know, I took that copy of that paper. And when I'm going through uh, the town of Vale, I saw one of those uh, machines that, you know, you put the quarter in and you open it and you take the paper out. What do you think I did? I took
0: every-
1: Oh, I took them all, man. I'm like, that. I'm on the front page, man. These are all coming with me. <laughs> so I handed them out to my friends and family back who man, man. I got tons of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> and
0: uh Is it on is it on your coffee table now, or I'll tell the truth?
1: <laughs> it's actually in my closet. You know Now that I'm saying it, you know, I, I tell this story uh you know to my audiences when I speak. Yeah, and i, see- I see- you know, I, I should have brought it out and showed you. <laughs> no, after this, I'll send you a photo. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay. So
1: um, Joe showed a bunch of his CO buddies and one of them said, yeah, we showed that paper where we you're snowboarding. And I'm like, man, Joe showed you that. And then I learned like Joe, like used to talk about all the cool things I would do, like play hockey, this and that. And Joe and I, I felt like a lot of siblings, you don't have that type of relationship where you're, you know, kind of complimenting each other. Yeah. And especially guys. You know what I mean?
0: You rough house. You make fun. Yeah. yeah.
1: Right. So hearing this, I'm like, geez, if Joe's proud of me, then would be proud of me now because I feel like I'm going downhill.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, well, moving forward, I just started to challenge myself uh, physically. I got involved in a CrossFit. That's how I met Ryan Leckie at CrossFit yeah. Scranton um, <laughs> you know, on Wyoming Avenue. <laughs> um yeah, it's where him and I met, and uh, wonderful dude, wonderful dude. And what a what an athlete yeah. too. Jeez, he,
0: he's I, just you know he's one of those guys that like everything he did. He just it just was gold. He's got that golden touch. He just does everything. Oh,
1: I, he's a great guy. Great, yep, yeah. yeah. great human being. And um, outside of CrossFit, I got a running blade. I started running. You know, I, I the first five k I did it was one of Ryan like he's five k's actually. He gave me an invite to go. <laughs> And, um, and I, I ran with Ryan and some of my other CrossFit buddies. It was cool, like really yeah. cool, like seeing the community come together. Hey, you know, we want to run with you for your first 5K. It was like, you know, good yeah. feeling, good feeling. Yeah. And this led me to more and more things like just, okay, this goal done, this goal done, this goal done. And eventually I got myself involved in an obstacle course racing. And one in particular uh, was called Spartan Race. And my first Spartan race was the summer of 2013 in this town called Wintergreen. It's a it's it's a ski town in the winter. It's now August, but Wintergreen, Virginia. Um, it's it's hot in the summer. It's humid. It's August. So I live in
0: Virginia. I can
1: I yeah can with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, even in DC, Washington DC, like yeah. you No, know, it's oh man, the the summers <laughs> are brutal, right? But doing this. You know, the morning of this race, I'm in one of the lodges grabbing my bib, and there's these men and women in multi cam tan looking uniforms, like my one, one like I have hanging on my uh in my office here. And I'm like, man, who are these individuals? Like, what, what's with the uniform? And one of them comes up to me with his hand out and he says, Hey, are you Earl? And I look at this person and I know who he is. This gentleman, he's in uniform, his name is Noah Galloway. Now, a little bit about Noah. He served in the 101st Airborne and lost his left leg identical to mine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he also lost his arm from a roadside bomb in Iraq. Well, also with Noah, he went on to be on the TV show Dancing with the Stars and also on the cover of Men's Health magazine. Like, I know who this guy is, right?
0: Right, right. right.
1: So I'm like, holy jeez, no! what's going on? Let me... Just rip down my Noah Galloway poster so I don't make it weird. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Fan girl, a little bit. What's up, dude? Man, great to meet you. I was like, damn, this guy knows who I am, right? So um, I said, what's with the uniform? And Noah says, we're part of an organization called Operation Enduring Warrior. And our mission in OEW is to honor, empower, and motivate our wounded and disabled veterans to live an active lifestyle, not let their injuries define who they are. They're going to find themselves. Noah then introduces me to the rest of the team in uniform. And I have to add, each individual in a uniform is either current or former military, which I think is pretty unique.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So before we go to that starting line, we go to a little secluded area. They have little backpacks on, right? Little, we call them assault packs in the military. And out of their assault packs, they take out a gas mask and they don it. Now I have to remind you, it is Virginia. And oh, that's
0: hard. hot. And it's hot.
1: And they're in full uniform. And I'm like, you guys are hardcore, man. Wow. <laughs> so we run the race this day. And it's it's eight miles. I went in a little cocky. Like, I've done like longer stuff than this. But it was a terrain. Like I said, this is a ski town during the winter. So those inclines, those declines, inclines, declines. It was just horrendous. Yeah. So finish the race took me all day. Noah said afterwards, we're having a few beers, having a bite to eat with the rest of the team. And Noah says, what do you think about joining us? And I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm ready for something like this. And after thinking about it for a little bit, I said, you know, I'll get back to you. I said, um, I think to myself, you know, this man who I respect so much, the humility that Noah carries. That's what I love most about him. You know, he could be the biggest rock star in the world. And here he is, wonderful family man, loves his kids. Yeah. And, and he could be like, you know, like on top of a mountain taking all his praise. And that's what I love most about this individual, like that humility. I, I really love that in people. So this gentleman who's asking me to join this organization, he's a part of it. It's like, let's just say I follow my whole life, the Chicago Bulls. I'm playing some random pickup game somewhere. And all of a sudden, Michael Jordan's like, hey, man, you want to be on your team? Yeah. You, you don't turn that down. You right?
0: better say yes.
1: Exactly. But you don't just join. You have to earn that spot. Months later, myself and I learned individuals went down to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and the rest of the mass athlete team was there. And they're just putting us through evolution after evolution after evolution for over 24 hours straight, seeing how we work as team members, seeing what our individual physical capabilities are, and how we handle ourselves under pressure. Sounds a lot like the military, don't you think? Yes. At the end of all these evolution, half the class failed. And here I was, one of the guys getting my gas mask. And all of a sudden, Natasha, I have this purpose. Mentoring and helping men yeah. and women in situations like mine reach their physical goals.
0: Yeah. I had that purpose. What I, you
1: know, when Joe passed away, I had no. I lost my job as a soldier. I lost my leg and I lost my twin brother and I had nothing ahead of me, nothing going forward. And OEW found me that camaraderie once again and found me that purpose. And just like that Iraq deployment, my mindset went just like Iraq. This isn't about me. Once again, it's about us. And it's I think as human beings, Natasha, doors, are, we've all heard it. One door closes, another one opens. But you got you, you to gotta get out there and yep. find it. You yep. can't sit there and feel sorry for yourself. And that's what I did for the longest time. Now, as human beings, I think there's three Ps that we all need in our lives. You must have a purpose. You have to have a passion. And you must be part of something bigger than yourself. Now, I'm going to give you a few examples of that. My three P's, when you have those three P's in the military, it's pretty easy. Yeah. But I think when you take that uniform off, you got to fill in those voids of what you miss. My purpose now is I'm a public speaker traveling all over the country, discussing my ideas of battling adversity. My passion, physical fitness, that is something that's very, very important to me, being physically active. Part of something bigger than myself, these organizations, Operation During Warrior. Another one, another hat that I wear, it's called the Oscar Mike Foundation. Very similar mission, just run very different. Now, the recipe to find those three Ps, you have to have a good attitude in this life. Because if you don't, you'll spiral. Yeah. Comfort zone. You must take a leap out. Because if you stay stagnant, you're never going to find what you're looking for. And number three, I talked a little bit about it earlier and I mentioned it a lot of times in this program, community. I can't tell you the power of what community can do. You know, in OEW and the Oscar Mike foundation, it's more than just a medal at that finish line of that Spartan race or whatever our mission is that day. It's the people and the relationships you're building it with. I look at the, I look at what happened during COVID here in North little Northeastern Pennsylvania when small businesses got shut down and people some people, they just couldn't make a living. Yeah. So the community stepped up. An example would be my gym, Brown's Gym in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. They had to close. So what do we do? We went right down there and we bought all this protein and supplements just to give them some income. Right. I mean, yeah. I don't need 18 jars of protein, but I know they could use the funds right. since they can't keep the doors open and make a living. Right. That's a power of what community can do on those, days, on those days when that weight gets heavy and it holds you down to stop you from enjoying life. You have to understand the weight. You don't have to carry it by yourself. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about us. I got an example for that right here.
0: Did I get to meet her? <laughs> Am I meeting her? I'm meeting her. <laughs>
1: This is Cindy. We talked about her a little bit. (laughs) What Cindy represents is that heavy weight of adversity that we all face as human beings guilt, stress, depression, anxiety, the weight of adversity that holds you down, the weight that you carry and stops you from enjoying life. Now, on the Oscar Mike Foundation, when we run our races or do our events, I'll start off with this. But after a little while, you know. Gets pretty heavy carrying it.
0: Cindy's not right, yeah.
1: (laughs) Exactly. But luckily, I have a team or a community right there beside me where we all take turns carrying it. And that is an example for everything that we hold up in here. We don't have to carry it by ourselves. As human beings, we need community more than ever. I can't express it enough. So anybody out there struggling... You know, sometimes I think mental health profession is very important. But also get out there, be a part of something bigger than yourself. For me, I always my my go-to is fitness. Yeah. That's like a big thing for me. Like yeah. fitness. So like joining a CrossFit gym. Um, maybe somebody joins the softball league because it's more than just those little goals you make for yourself and what you're doing. It's the people you're doing it with in those relationships. I can't tell you my years in Northeastern Pennsylvania, how many like CrossFit parties I've gone to like somebody at the gym, they'll have a Christmas party and we go yeah. there. And, hey, look at that. We're not in workout clothes. Right. You know, but <laughs> that's what community is. So nobody has to carry this by themselves.
0: I got to tell you, Earl, this has been, I mean, I'm looking at the clock and I can't believe we've been on for an hour. I'm just enamored with your story. I can't thank you enough for coming on the, the level of positivity, resilience, this is what it's about. Right. And when, when you talk about the three Ps, it resonates, right. I put it in different terms, but I'm right there with you. Right. And so, you know, the, the, I always say the only thing I need in someone is to be part of, or believe in something bigger than themselves, because we are just, we're just a part of it all. Right. And so, We preach this in the company I work for, find your purpose, what's our purpose, and and we try to live by that daily. So I just appreciate anyone that that helps spread that message to make people's lives better and have more meaning. Right. And so I again, thank you so much. What I would love to do is please tell people how they can have you come and speak in person, virtually. How can we get more Earl in our lives?
1: Well, like every human being, I'm on social media, uh, Instagram, or I have a, a business Facebook page. But I think one of the best ways to get a hold of me is just my website www.earlgranville.org. Very simple. You can see some of my work, in there some documentaries I've been in, um, some audiences I've spoken to, and I of would all love-
0: ages. By the way, you speak oh, to I- kids too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I speak to The school on Monday, up uh, right outside of Boston, and the next day I go out on an Army Reserve unit in New Jersey, and um, geez, all walks of life. Everyone's like, "So, what's your audience?" And I said, "I don't know." Yesterday I spoke to Pennsylvania Bureau of Forestry. I think, you know, like I I don't have like one audience. Like this all started with corrections officers, yeah, and inmates. That's what got me started. So somebody asked me to go tell my story somewhere and The right person's in the audience that says, You need to do this more. I'm gonna yeah. get you more of a talk you with the Bureau of Prisons yeah. and go to all these federal prisons over the country. And that's how this whole thing started. And I gotta be real, I love it. I love I love pe- hearing other people. I can tell like,
0: I can tell you like storytelling. It's it's you're good at it, it's great. Thank you. Yeah, and I
1: love hearing other people's story like you know, when I wrap up, I hate to be like, okay, guys, I'm done. See you later. No, I'd like people to come up and talk to me. And I love hearing where, you know, their growth or where they came from and how they achieved it. Like, I think that's part of it. Like, I love hearing these stories, these, these stories of triumph, of overcoming yeah. what they've overcome. Absolutely. And it's so it's, it's more than just getting up there and uh, with a microphone. It's hearing it back as well.
0: May I make a marketing suggestion? Sure. I think you need to start selling christmas like lamp ornaments i think after this podcast and this conversation i think that's a good thing for you to add to your website just saying just
1: christmas saying. ornaments of
0: cindy uh no not of cindy of ralphie the lamp oh! the story. <laughs> that's, i mean that i think there's a mark there's going to be a market for that after this podcast, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I will keep that in mind, Natasha.
0: <laughs> I'm just kidding. Earl, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate your time. Again, check out Earl. He's all over social media and he told you how to get a hold of him on his website. For more episodes of Time to Head North, please check out our website, tngdefense.com. You can hit us up on YouTube, Time to Head North. Don't forget to hit subscribe likes on social media. We greatly appreciate it. Greatly appreciate you all. Thanks to everyone for listening and have a wonderful day.
1: Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Natasha. I appreciate your time.